0: Welcome to the Pharma Forum Podcast. In this episode, I speak with Dr. Hans Erickson about the fascinating field of precision psychiatry and the potential of ketamine to help patients with major depressive disorder, or MDD. Providing a broad overview of the mental health research field, both in the mid-20th century and today, Dr. Erickson guides the conversation through his work in the field at the moment and explores the comparative potential benefits of ketamine and psychedelics today and tomorrow, as well as explaining just what precision psychiatry is. A valuable discussion of research endeavors into unmet needs within mental health treatment, all thanks to development in precision medicine generally. The pendulum, as Dr. Erickson says, really is swinging. In the right direction at the moment. With an openness to use medications and compounds once shunned by the pharma industry, that stigma now being set aside slowly but surely, hope really does seem to be on the horizon. As ever, thank you for listening. This is web editor Nicole Raleigh and today I have with me Dr Hans Eriksson. Chief Medical Officer at HMNC Brain Health, a precision psychiatry biopharma company. Welcome, Hans.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: So in today's episode, we'll be discussing perhaps a bit of a contentious substance, that is to say ketamine, exploring current studies into its use in mental health. Indeed, in August last year, HMNC Brain Health announced top-line results from a Phase 2 study looking at a take-at-home oral ketamine option for treatment-resistant depression, or TRD. In addition to that discussion, Hans and I will also explore the use of AI and machine learning in precision psychiatry and ongoing research and development into seeking better mental health drugs, touching upon how the myth of one size fits all of traditional antidepressants really doesn't translate into truth, especially when it comes to mental health. Before we begin, though, Hans, perhaps you could tell listeners a little bit more about yourself, your journey to today and the work that you do.
1: Certainly. So um, I'm originally trained as a psychiatrist. So after medical school, I went into uh, training as a psychiatrist and I worked uh, clinically, also as a consultant psychiatrist. Uh, I really enjoyed the patient contact and and also the ability to to make a difference. Uh, I was, however, Always a bit uh, stressed by, by the fact that uh, for the broad psychiatric indications that we are having patients in the medications and the interventions were often very much uh, standardized, sort of one size fits all, even though in, 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 in a broad indication like depression, for instance, which can have so many different manifestations, most patients are treated uh, with a similar starting approach. So that was one of the things that I felt a bit uncomfortable with the general state of of, uh, psychiatric care and psychiatric treatment. And uh, for several reasons, not just because of that, uh, I decided to pursue a career in drug development. So I've spent now close to 25 years in uh, clinical drug development in the psychiatric space. I've been with both large and small pharmaceutical companies. I've been working actively on five different clinical development programs for depression three of these have actually resulted in regulatory approvals in uh, major depressive disorder which is the most common uh, depression form and uh, i'm currently uh, working in a, in a small company in germany uh, where we uh, actually are having three different uh, novel uh, depression treatments that we are moving forward through uh, three different development programs with slightly different profiles
0: Thank you for that, Hans. So if we talk a bit more about the state of the mental health of the global population, globally, 615 million people, that's almost 10% of the worldwide population, are currently living with a mental health condition. And more than 50%, so some 320 million people, suffer from major depressive disorder, MDD. And of that 50%, 30%, that's approximately 100 million patients, are suffering from TRD, treatment-resistant depression. So going back to what you said about the uncomfortable notion of standardised treatments for broad indications like depression, when we think about antidepressants, can you tell listeners why it is that that one-size-fits-all approach is perhaps false and ineffective but also why it's remained the root for so long.
1: Yeah, if, if you look back at how the modern psychiatric treatments were born, most of them came to life in the fifties, both for depression and for schizophrenia and for depression, we saw the first modern antidepressants, the tricyclic antidepressants uh, coming to the market in the late fifties uh, or uh, early sixties, uh, and they were built on a common theme, which, which was about modulating neurotransmission mediated by monoamines, particularly uh, noradrenaline and serotonin. And that showed early on to be uh, a successful concept uh, in that it really meant a major step forward for uh, the treatment of depression for many patients. So so it was actually quite important, uh, even though it did not really benefit all patients uh, in need of an improvement. So what the industry did was that. Rather than looking for other mechanisms of action and and novel approaches, the aim was to uh, improve and refine that treatment uh, approach. So uh, if you look today at the most commonly used antidepressants, the SSRIs, the uh, specific serotonin reuptake inhibitors, they share many of the features with the old tricyclics but they are much better tolerated on, on a day to day level by patients. And they're also much safer from a, from, from other perspective, particularly from a cardiovascular perspective, but they are not necessarily more efficacious. So the improvement was mainly on the side of tolerability rather on the side of efficacy. And in parallel, we have seen a similar process in the, in the, in the schizophrenia field where original medications have been replaced by more modern interventions that still to a large extent benefit from a similar mechanism of action but uh, where uh, tolerability and safety has been improved so i think it was a safe and trodden path for the industry to move forward Um, but that has really changed over the last last five to ten years when uh, a number of different novel modalities have come into play both some that have come from the industrial laboratories and some treatments that actually have come from uh, other areas where these me- medications or compounds have been used for uh, recreational purposes and sometimes more uh, come from from, from the, the field of drug abuse. But many of these compounds are potent, efficacious, and if administered in a safe way under uh, regulatory approval, they may really mean... Uh, considerable steps forward in how we can address many of the the common mental disorders.
0: Absolutely. So on that point, if we're thinking about this, um, this moving forward and improving and refining and taking into consideration those compounds you mentioned at the end there, I'd like to briefly think comparatively about perhaps the work of compass pathways which is renowned for working with another substance, namely psilocybin, also with stigma surrounding it, similar to ketamine. And I wondered if you just wanted to comment upon perhaps uh, this shift, as it were, in mental health treatment studies and the possibilities that psychedelics hold.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, psilocybin is a very interesting compound and as you say, one of the companies developing it is Compass Pathways. I also have a history with that company and I, th- I think they are doing absolutely the right thing with uh, psilocybin because this is a compound that is, is originally found in, uh, in some mushrooms and as always in, in medicine, it's important to get the doses right when you are treating someone. So one of the first and perhaps most important steps when, when, when taking a biologically occurring substance is to somehow standardize the amounts. And I think that is uh, what uh, Compass have done. So so they they are ensuring that you can get standardized milligram doses of of the medication. Also, um, um, if if, you take psilocybin as an example, it uh, it has over time been used in many different contexts. But it's also important to uh, be able to find a, a safe reproducible way to give this medicine. I think uh, Compass have done that. They have set up also a um, very comprehensive way of of um, supporting the medication with its biological substance by psychological support to uh, enhance the experience during treatment. So I think they've done exactly the right thing. They are harnessing the uh, benefit and the potential of a potent biological substance, but they are also building a very safe network to be able to administer it. And um, it's not only them, there are other companies out there that are following a similar path. And um, I think this is the way uh, forward. Have respect for the power uh, and, and potential of these medicines, but not shy away from them just because of them. They may have been Inappropriately used in some contexts previously, but find a way to make them available in a safe way to to a broader patient population. So I think it's 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 very commendable what many of these companies and and academic groups are are doing today.
0: Thank you, Hans. I will come back to what you touched upon there about the therapy assisted psychedelic treatments, um, which another company, for example, Clark and Wealth Health is doing. But now what I'd like to do instead is really focus on HMNC brain health itself and the work being done with TRD and MDD. So at the moment, there's a pipeline of novel compounds for these conditions. Would you like to tell listeners more about that? So I don't get it wrong, for one thing, and also mention HMNC's AI platform in that process.
1: Certainly. So uh, maybe I could start uh, by talking a bit about our uh, uh, prolonged release uh, oral ketamine program. So ketamine uh, is another compound, uh, to some extent, belonging in the same category as as, uh, psilocybin and some some of the psychedelic substances. Even though it's not strictly psychedelic, it causes dissociative experiences. It is actually originally an anesthetic that has been used for more than 50 years. Uh, And uh, since uh, around 2000 there has been a growing understanding of its potential to be antidepressant at lower doses than the anesthetic doses. So it has been uh, quite extensively used um, as an intravenous infusion for uh, people with severe depression or treatment resistant depression. And a major pharmaceutical company has also developed uh, one of the two enantiomers, uh, one of the two versions of uh, ketamine called S-ketamine as a nasal spray for depression. Uh, and uh, to me as a clinician, this has been a great uh, step forward because it has uh, opened up for a completely novel mechanism of action uh, to uh, take place in, 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 in the field of psychiatry. Uh, and uh, ketamine um, is characterized by a robust efficacy with an early onset of effect, which is, of course, all very good and what we are looking for. Unfortunately, this benefit has come with with, with the typical side effect profile where some of the psychological experiences, which we call dissociative side effects, have been uh, difficult to avoid. And there have also been cardiovascular side effects like heart rate increase and blood pressure increase. And in the case of this uh, approved nasal spray, this has led regulators to mandate that the medicine must be taken under medical supervision. So patients treated with this medicine need to come into the physician's office, perhaps once or twice per week for a long period of time, they take the medicine, be supervised, and are not, typically not allowed to drive car until the following day. So it, it, it's really, from a practical perspective, quite bothersome. And um, what we have been trying to do we are trying to do is to Uh, deliver the benefits of um, ketamine in a different different format so we are administering it as a tablet uh, an oral tablet that releases very slowly and what happens when when we do that is that uh, much of the parent compound as we say ketamine is metabolized in the liver after being taken up from the stomach Uh, and uh, that leads to relatively low ketamine concentrations which has led to a very low level of dissociation and cardiovascular effects. But we see higher level of metabolites of ketamine, particularly or ketamine, which has been suggested to be an antidepressant in, in, in several models. And indeed what we have seen in our studies, particularly in a larger phase two study that read out last year, is that, uh, yes, it seems as if there is a rapid onset of, of, of effect, clear difference from placebo visible uh, after four days, uh, seven days, uh, which has maintained the improvement in baseline uh, over time. Uh, and this benefit comes virtually without uh, dissociative side effects. So it seems as if we are on, on the verge of being able to separate the uh, clinical benefit from the dissociative side effects. And this study that we conducted in three European countries last year uh, here, the medicine was administered uh, at home, it was a take at home medication, which is very much in contrast to how, for instance, the intravenous ketamine uh, or the intranasal esketamine are being administered. So we hope we are being able to deliver the benefits with a far improved tolerability profile and that in turn will not only be beneficial for the individual patient but it will also have the potential for a broader use for what we see as a very efficacious and promising compound. So that's one of our main programs we are running right now.
0: Thank you. So if we focus on the benefit for the individual patient and segue to the field of precision psychiatry, I'd like to discuss how that differs from traditional psychiatry. I mean You've got genetic tests in combination with treatment, already a common protocol in other medical areas, uh, oncology, for example. But there's still a novelty in psychiatry. And HMNC Brain Health's work is seeking to change that, isn't it?
1: It it certainly is. And and uh, we have a very inspirational leadership at HMNC Brain Health. Uh, our chairman of the board, Dr. Franz Humer, was previously for many years chief executive officer of Roche. A company that was one of the um, most successful companies in in transforming oncology uh, treatment uh, by combining novel medications with tools to identify the patients so the spirit is very much uh, in the company from the top down Um, and the the notion is quite simple Uh, many of the um, psychiatric disorders and, and and our company we are particularly focusing on depression they are very uh, heterogeneous. So actually, in order to fulfill diagnostic criteria for uh, having a major depressive disorder, two patients can complete without a single symptom in common. Uh, And I think it's very likely that there are more than one biology involved in uh, depression uh, and also uh, different reasons for depression coming up. Uh, In some instances, more due to external factors, psychosocial factors, and perhaps in other fact, in other instances, more due to more Inherited uh, traits. So uh, the idea here is to uh, find a way to make sure that the right patient will get the right medication. And in order to do that, I think there are three um, boxes that need to be ticked if I use that expression. First of all, uh, we need to know that there is uh, some particular biological disturbance associated with depression in a subset uh, of individuals. Then we need to have a tool to to identify those individuals and the third box is to have a treatment that can overcome uh, this disturbance and i, I think that in uh, our case we have two programs that tick all these three boxes so um, it is well known that uh, in about a third to a, to a 50% of depressed individuals there is a disturbance in the human stress management system uh, how how the brain directs the adrenals small glands close to the kidneys to release the stress horm- hormone cortisol. Uh, and this system uh, involves several different steps with different hormones. And is sometimes referred to as the HPA axis, and it stands for hypothalamus pituitary adrenals axis. And this regulatory system is um, malfunctioning in, in, in that proportion of depressed individuals. Uh, and there have been attempts back in time to use medicines that can inhibit some of the hormones involved in the system to dampen the activity in the HPA axis. So two commonly approach, two commonly chosen approaches have been inhibitors to the to vasopressin and inhibitors to CRH. Both of these are small peptide hormones occurring in the brain. There have been some positive signals, but they have not really led to new medications becoming available. Our belief is that the disturbance is there but the disturbance is not there in all patients. So when clinical trials have been conducted in broad populations, the signals have been diluted by patients who have no benefit of these treatments and thereby the signals have been uh, less easy to detect. So what we have in our hands now are two different uh, genetic um, companion diagnostics that can identify individuals that have these disturbances with hyperactivities in the HPA axis. And then we have two different uh, interventions, the vasopressin V1B inhibitor and the CRH1 receptor inhibitor that can block this hyperactivity. Uh, And the hope is that we, by focusing on on a smaller subset of depressed individuals, which have this disturbance that is matched by the intervention, the, the medicine, that we will be able to overcome the disturbance and thereby bring more powerful uh, efficacy to 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 these patients Uh, and we are right now conducting such studies we have a large uh, phase two study ongoing in eight countries in europe with the vasopressin b1b inhibitor in conjunction with a companion diagnostic test so we are testing both the medicine and we are testing the test so to speak in the same clinical trial Uh, and we are just preparing also to move into phase two uh, with a um, compound that is a blocker of uh, the hormone CRH. So we have these two different programs running uh, side by side. And we hope that this will be the first time that we really bring precision medicine into psychiatry, where we take all the, these three boxes, find the disturbance, find the patient, and then intervene with a medication that will overcome the disturbance.
0: So with all these very valuable developments that HMNC brain health is doing. I heard also that you were recently in attendance at JP Morgan health conference. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I was just wondering if you could tell listeners how that went and whether there were any sort of key takeaways relevant to our conversation today, which might bear an influence in the year ahead.
1: I think in general, there is a huge interest in um, precision medicine in, in psychiatry to uh, be able to uh, get more refined treatments for more limited patient population, which I think is is, is very encouraging for both patients and clinicians. Uh, It seems also uh, from more of the business oriented side that the appetite to, to invest in uh, novel approaches in um, biopharma is increasing again. We have had a couple of years where the uh, investment appetite has been low, but I, I think that um, the pendulum is is swinging right now, and that we will ge- get back to a more uh, investor-friendly climate, uh, which is of course very good news for for companies like ours who will rely upon investments to be able to bring uh, important development programs forward. So I, I think we are actually in in, in quite a good spot uh, right now, and this also in 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 combination with this new openness to use medications or compounds that previously were almost shunned by the pharma industry because they had been either used inappropriately in some areas or may have been around for such a long time that they didn't really have the novelty. I think we've gone past that and are looking more at what a new intervention really can do. So I'm, I'm actually quite optimistic about the future of uh, Psychiatric drug development, neuropsychiatric interventions that will really change the way we, we 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 treat patients in the years
0: to come. Absolutely, that pendulum swinging back to not only investor-friendly climates, but respect for, as you say, the power of these drugs and the intention not to shy away from them any longer. Thank you, Hans. Yeah. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much.
0: so that concludes another episode of the farmer forum podcast you can find out more information about this episode including a download link and information about previous installments of the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcasts the farmer forum podcast is also available on itunes spotify acast stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe by searching for PharmaForum. Of course, don't forget to visit our website itself, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins, and follow us on Twitter, or X nowadays, at at PharmaForum. That's all for now. Thank you for listening.